0: top class the OECD's education podcast. My name's Henry and I work in the OECD's Directorate for Education and Skills. Societies are changing. The evidence for that is pretty abundant anywhere you look and it means that students who are at school now will be facing a whole host of complex challenges and also opportunities when they leave. So how do we prepare them for that? What skills will they need to face such complexity? Well, this is where innovation comes in. This is where the ability to foster innovation in schools is going to become paramount. Innovation is something we've talked about previously on the podcast, but we talked about it through the lens of teaching, how will teachers need to innovate their practices to improve instruction and respond to changing contexts. But today we're going to be looking at it from the other side, from the student's perspective. Why do the students themselves need to be innovators? How do we cultivate that attitude of innovation among them? What kind of structures do we need to put in place to make sure that that happens? So to talk about this, I caught up with Jeff Mulgan, who is the CEO of Nesta, which is an innovation foundation based in the UK, and also Stéphane Vincent-Lancrin, who is a senior analyst and project leader in the OECD's Centre for Educational Research and Innovation, which is part of the overall education directorate. Jeff, Stefan, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. First off, why do we need students to be innovators? Is is having just good students not enough?
1: Well, I think we'd always want children to be creative, to unlock their imagination, but there are two new reasons which make this much more important for for teachers or school systems. The first is really about children themselves. We now know quite a lot about what skills will be more in demand in 10, 20 years' time in, in the workplace partly as automation and artificial intelligence change or indeed remove jobs. And what remains and what will become more important are skills of creativity, problem solving, collaboration. And a lot of those are really learned through doing innovative things with others in a practical way. So really any child today should be learning to be an innovator if they want to prosper in the workplace, indeed the society of the future. But I think there's also a very important economic imperative We've recently had very compelling research done in the US and elsewhere, which shows that only a tiny fraction of the population are able to realise their creative potential. So, for example, patents. Nearly all the patent makers, that's the inventors in the US, came from relatively privileged backgrounds where they had, at an early age, exposure to technology and innovation. And that implied that millions of other kids could have been great inventors of uh, new materials or iPhones or whatever, but just didn't get the chance because they lacked that early experience. In my country, in the UK, only 8% of patents come from women and it's not because women are less inventive than men, it's because again they haven't had the opportunities. So I think more and more we're going to see nations thinking this is because of their economic policy to give children much earlier exposure to the
2: practicalities of innovation. Mm. Stefan? Yes, I think that actually to get back to your question, uh, being a good student today includes actually being an innovator, having the skills for innovation. to add to what Jeff just said on the economic part of it, um, in OECD countries, innovation has become one of the drivers of growth, and actually that's really one of the reasons why many of the countries are very interested to equip their students and population with innovation skills. And actually this goes beyond the pattern aspect, which is very important, but it's also the capacity to absorb innovation, to contribute to an innovative society. and so that's really part of of this thing second point that i would like to add is also echoing what jeff said and as the first one is about the well-being of the students and the people themselves you know innovation skills creativity critical thinking etc are things that we human beings enjoy um, and actually that's really part of the well-being as well of, of the children and that's why it's so important to to learn and have some possibilities as part of the
0: school system to these, these kind of activities. Jeff, from, from your background, it's pretty clear that you yourself are an innovator, if you don't mind me saying. Was this something that was nurtured in your own education or something that came later?
1: Um, I don't think I am actually very active <laughs> and I feel jealous of uh, kids who, who are better at it. Um, and I've been quite lucky. I had a lot of different kinds of... Jobs. Most of my teenage experiences were actually very traditional education and working in jobs like cleaning or in a factory and so on, so I didn't get those opportunities early enough in life. Later I had the good fortune to work in places where we were able to work on real life problems, to solve things, to think laterally, to meet lots of different people and learn from them. I just wish I'd had that 10 years earlier. Uh, And that's why I would love to see today's 8-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds having the chances to, to learn agency. It's what Stefan said in a way. As human beings, we thrive when we feel a sense of control, that we can actually make and shape the things around us. And all over the world, I think, populations of every age feel things are done to them. They don't feel that agency. Products rain down on them from far away. Decisions are made in distant cities. And, again, one of the reasons why I think this is so important, not just a nice-to-have luxury to have innovation in in the schools, is because it's part of really being a a full human being uh, to exercise agency and shape
0: the world you live in. Mm. And do you think that the way students are taught today is conducive to innovation? The way most students are taught today, most of the time, is as
1: individuals, uh, in classrooms, absorbing learning in pedagogy, which is not that different from 100 or 150 years ago. It's almost the opposite of how innovation is done, which is usually with others in a team. Uh, It's usually not just absorbing pre-existing knowledge, though that helps, but it's trying to discover something new to solve some new kind of Uh, problem, and it allows you to speculate, to take risks, sometimes to fail, to do things differently. Now, I'm not saying all schooling should be like that, but if there isn't a significant part of the school week which allows that kind of exploratory speculative, team-based problem solving then our schools really are not fit for the current era. They're in a way designed for an industrial era where we wanted millions of people who would you know be obedient office workers or factory workers not a 21st century where we need people who are themselves able to
0: create and solve problems. And Stefan, it seems that to make changes that Jeff's just mentioned teachers will also need to innovate as in they will need to become innovative teachers in their practice. How should they go about that? Well, I mean, the first thing that uh,
2: they have to do is to realize that this is part of their goals, you know, and and actually to to think of what it means to develop innovative skills, you know, and that's really one of the first. So one of the things that we've been trying to do here is actually develop uh, a kind of professional language for teachers so that they understand what are the kind of how to make it visible to the students and how to be intentional about actually creating the space for students to innovate. So around things that actually Jeff mentioned, you know, about uh, having more space to imagine, to inquire, to do actual stuff, uh, you know, which is at an exam or a quiz, uh, and to reflect on what uh, they've been doing. So that's really one of, of the challenges. I think another one is, I fully agree with Jeff, that it doesn't have to be all the time. But what happens for most teachers is that they tend to believe that it's going to happen in uh, somebody else's class, you know, usually speaking. So, And actually including in the arts where, you know, many people, let's say science teachers, would feel like, you know, that's not what we are all about, this happening in visual arts or in music. But in fact, this, the teachers in visual arts and music feel like, no, we are doing music and visual arts here, we're not doing this kind of stuff, you know, and so... That's a shared responsibility and teachers have to understand that there is space in all the different subjects that they're teaching to do this kind of of things. And probably the most difficult for many of them is actually to find the right balance between structure and openness and to let go a little bit of their mastery, understand that students can co-design some of the problems that they have, which may imply that the teachers don't have the solution, they don't really know, uh, but, you know, you have to accept that, that you don't know everything, uh, and that perhaps actually what one of the outcomes of your project is that you don't know, you know, and that you may, perhaps somebody else does, perhaps no one does, you know, that's, and that's really part of the innovation process as well, you know, and the scientific process, uh, if, if we want to understand it better.
0: Mm. And from your experience looking at the data and analyzing countries, are there any countries that are really open to this in, in their education system? And do any stand out to you? I think that more and more countries are open to it. At least, you know,
2: they that's become part of their um, policy goals. You know, so you hardly see any curriculum policy or curriculum these days which does not include the development of creativity, critical thinking, collaborative. Uh, uh, etc. I think perhaps England is one We've been an exception. (laughs) (laughs) We're stuck
1: in the 19th century on this, I'm afraid.
2: Well, yeah, so there is a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, uh, England is perhaps slightly different. There are a few other ones as well, you know, because in some cases, usually policymakers tell you that they've been too far in one direction, so they have to go back to to work in another direction. But currently, I would say most countries are really uh, all for it. The real problem is that it it doesn't really translate into practice or we don't really know that it translates into practice. Uh, And if you think of innovation in general or how people are taught, we don't really know actually, you know, we don't have many measures. So we just had this book recently on measuring innovation in education, which is about uh, what is a mix of practices in different OECD countries uh, uh, in terms of pedagogical and school practices. well, you know, I think it's a kind of a progress, but we still don't know very little what's actually going on uh, in, in classrooms. We know what we want, we know what we hope, but what's actually happening is
0: still unclear. Mm-hmm. And just bringing back to what the students may need to do to be innovators, I guess a lot of this depends on how we understand how the brain works. Um, Jeff, I'm wondering if there's any understandings of, I don't know, brain learning or something like that that could shed light on on these new practices to become innovators?
1: Well, uh, some of this may come from neuroscience, but also I think from what we've learned about learning, (laughs) Uh, and a lot has been learnt about how kids actually learn in deep ways. So I think there's lots of ways you can absorb a piece of knowledge, but to really understand the underlying sort of grammar of of a discipline, usually you need to recreate it for yourself. You have to not just absorb it, but you have to be able to apply it in a completely different context. And I think there's an interesting analogy with art there. You know, In the past, to be a truly great artist, you first of all learnt to copy the previous artists. And then you went on to create your own style. You didn't leap straight away to inventing your own painting style if you were Leonardo or Michelangelo. You first you know, absorbed the, the, the body of your civilization and then you moved on. And that's probably a bit the metaphor we need for thinking about creativity in schools. And I think to help it, we, are, we have some fantastic technologies. And I just want to mention two live projects, which I think could be quite important to this debate in the future. One is one which my organisation, Nestor is doing for the British government around artificial intelligence. And I think unusually what we're doing is funding new kinds of AI which can help teachers, and we're working with groups of teachers to shape these so they can help them design classes, do marking, uh, um, measure what's happening, precisely so as to free up more time and more headspace for the more exploratory creative work. So we're seeing AI as an assistance to this whole programme rather than as it is often seen as a a threat because it will destroy teachers' jobs. We think it can enhance teachers' jobs. And then the second side is working on collective intelligence. How do we turn thousands of teachers more into a collective intelligence so they can try out different methods of encouraging innovation or creativity, helping kids work on everything from air quality to to fixing wildlife, but in ways where they pool their data, they pool their knowledge in real time as if they were a big brain. Now, to me, it's kind of obvious that's what a school system should be, It's crazy in a way that teachers work in such isolated, fragmented ways, and particularly in these fields where there isn't that much evidence, far more has been invested in the past in understanding things like maths teaching than in understanding what really works on mobilising creativity. So the best way is let's turn the whole education system into a kind of living laboratory where teachers are encouraged to do small-scale experiments, test, measure, improve, and then share it with all
2: of their peers. Yes, actually, technology is changing that. And one of the things that we found in, in our report on emerging innovation is that uh, peer learning actually has increased tremendously in most countries uh, over time, in over the past 10 years in, in, in OECD countries, and probably actually in relation to the development of technology. The fact that you have all these uh, teachers, social platforms, you know, the ability to co-design things together. And one of the things that we are really promoting and the OECD is, is actually the shaping of learning communities but it's true that actually it can go beyond that because as you just said you know it could really be on how you mobilize others to have the answers that I mentioned you may not have yourself you know and that because you're not so interested in, in one specific topic uh, etc and also I fully agree on on AI we tend to think a lot about the use of technology as, as a a direct device for teaching, you know, so how can we, and sometimes actually t- it is a good direct device for that, we can actually give uh, peer feedback, we can give much more personalized learning, just because we can follow more easily, but one of the very important dimensions of it is how it supports teachers, and probably you arrive right at AI would be really one way to help us make sense of all the data that we're gathering, and actually give feedback to teachers, to students themselves, and so that, you know, Both as a reminder of what they could do, in some ways, you know, like uh, our uh, Google Mini or Alexa at home, you know, uh, uh, but but also as a way really to to free time and to take over some of the uh, burdensome tasks for the teachers. And
1: I I think we need to encourage an experimental mindset. The heart of science, the heart of you could say, progress has been the idea that you develop ideas, you try them out, you see if they work. If they do, you reinforce them. If they don't, you get rid of them. That's what's led to this, all of the progress of the last uh, few hundred years. And I think we need children to learn from an early age that that's a good thing to do. It's good to have an experimental ethos and mindset and apply it to their own, uh, everything from physics to art to, uh, uh, to, to, to to geography. But it's also important for schools and teachers themselves to have that experimental mindset. So one of the things we're doing on AI at the moment is creating test beds. So groups of dozens of schools become the place where new technological ideas can be played with, tried out, see if they work. We will, in a few weeks' time, publish a report of similar educational test beds around the world in, in Singapore, and Israel, and Canada. Um, But these are still, I think, the exception, not the rule. Mainly, schools receive either technologies or ideas from outside. They are not themselves the co-creators of those ideas. And I would like to see this kind of testbed approach become much more normal, much more mainstream, so teachers feel they're in the driving seat of shaping the next wave of technology,
2: not just passive observers of stuff being done to them. I think another point is actually related to uh, uh, Teacher preparation or initial training, and so we've talked about about the professional learning while they're in service. But in many cases, they are actually not experiencing the kind of pedagogy that we're talking about as well. You know, and we know that it, you know the way you've been taught is very important in how you teach actually. And so that's really one of the things that we also need to try to 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 develop. You know, how to actually train teachers to be much more designers of I would say you know their lessons their projects uh, and also have much more room to experiment you know sometimes fail you know as uh, controlled failures uh, but to try things so that there is not so much at stake and perhaps actually one of the things that gets in the way is one of the functions of our education systems, which is more you know how you get to harvard uh, how you get to oxford cambridge and so all the I would say you know the social meritocratic part of it uh, which to some extent you know which is a justification for some level of standardization of it yeah
1: so I, I think often teachers and schools need help they need to pull in other resources to help them do this well And this maybe to give a couple of examples, last year we ran a big programme challenging school kids to design escape rooms. I don't know if you know what an escape room Mm -hmm. is, where you you have to go through an organised game and escape from each room by solving maths problems. And this was a fantastic thing for uh, school kids to compete on but they often needed a bit of help from um, local businesses or people who worked in digital technology to help the teachers help them to take part. And the same is applied to a thing called the Longitude Explorer Prize, which we run each year, again aimed at 11 to 16-year-old kids using satellite technology, Internet of Things, this year will be AI, to come up with imaginative solutions to problems. And the more they can be surrounded by a sort of pool of advisors from, again, the locality, people who are immersed in technology as well as their teachers, the more likely they are to learn a lot from that process and to come up with really good ideas. The teachers with the best will of the world just don't have that kind of knowledge or experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and many of them you know, are, are, post, <laughs> are pre-digital in a sense in their, their formation. So I think a key challenge for every school is not just to think of what resources do we have within our walls, but who is there out there within five, ten kilometers who would be quite happy to volunteer once a year sharing their knowledge and experience to help children do practical innovation?
2: Yeah, and actually even international comparison and linkages and networks are increasingly playing a role in that as well, you know. So it's true that it's very important to be able to connect to people who are near to you but increasingly it's possible to do it with people who are far away, you know. And that's really also... a, a a game-changer, get some your ideas from people not just around you, but, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, Singapore, China, yeah. and in some cases it, it, it really happens. So one of the things that we do at the OECD as well is to, well, on the one hand, develop pedagogical resources, examples, you know, so what are the things that you could do to tweak your your uh, teaching and, and, and the learning of your students, and also investing into this uh, global video library that actually is going to exemplify how uh, different kinds of pedagogical practices um, are occurring uh, across the world on similar topics. So so climate change is a really good example
1: of what Stefan said. So thousands, millions of, of teenagers in the last few months have been marching on climate change and many of them then want to work on practical projects in their school Uh, thinking about what innovations in their locality could reduce carbon emissions. They can go around measuring the energy wastage from roofs or windows and get a map of their locality. They can start thinking about how you would change travel patterns, uh, which which houses are the worst uh, uh, offenders. And this is a great thing then to link by Skype to other schools who may be doing exactly the same kind of projects and creating a peer learning community. Uh, And again, this is where innovation isn't just important for the economy, though it is important for jobs in the economy, it's important for really all all of our big problems will not be solved except through much faster, much more intensive uh, innovation led by millions of people, not just by
0: a small minority. thank jeff and stefan for joining us and thank you to everyone for listening if you want to find out more about our work you can look up our website which is oecd.org forward slash education and all of our latest reports and research is on our twitter page which is at oecd edu skills thanks again everyone and until next time